This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Downey. Our guest this week is Joel Brandenberger, president of the National Turkey Federation. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc. CHS Inc. is a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. CHS is diversified in energy, grains, and foods, and committed to growing their business through domestic and global operations. More with Joel Brandenberger, president of the National Turkey Federation, next here on Open Mic. What does it mean to be relevant in today's global agriculture marketplace? To CHS, it means having the people and facilities in place to deliver U.S. grain to a feedlot in South Korea or investing in energy production and distribution to help ensure dependable fuel supplies for our local communities. In fact, we've invested more than $1.4 billion on our owner's behalf to make sure we stay relevant now and into the future. To learn more, visit chsinc.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm Jeff Daly. The National Turkey Federation exclusively represents all segments of the American turkey industry. President Joel Brandenberger says the industry is in the middle of a $2 million promotional campaign to grow real demand for their product. Brandenberger says this season's avian influenza outbreak has cost the industry about 6 million birds. To put that in perspective expectations were for production of about 240 million turkeys uh, this year. So we're, we're talking about something around 2.5% maybe of anticipated production this year. Uh, in certain parts of the country, the, the hit has been, been greater. Uh, in the upper Midwest, uh, especially Minnesota and Iowa, the Dakotas, uh, have been particularly hard hit, uh, and it's been a higher percentage of, of production up there. And if you are a company or a farm that has been hit by this, it's it's absolutely devastating. Um, it, it's hard to describe uh, the financial, the emotional toll that, that that has come up there from this. It, it it's been terrible to to be affected. But as I said, ultimately we're looking at about two and a half percent of the anticipated um, supply. Number may grow a little bit depending on how quickly some of these affected farms can be repopulated and production can return to normal in the affected areas. Um, so so the the jury's still a little bit out on what on what the final final impact will be. Um, as you might imagine when the general interest media calls, they all ask the same question at some point in the interview, usually early on is what does this mean for Thanksgiving? Here's the good news. Doesn't mean doesn't mean much at all for, for Thanksgiving. Everybody will be able to get their turkey at Thanksgiving. Um, you know, could there be some pl- price fluctuations? Possibly, uh, especially on fresh turkeys. Uh, could the supplies be a little tighter on fresh turkeys? That 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 could well be. Because um, that's too early to tell. The the fresh turkeys aren't even in the field yet. That are going to be sold at Thanksgiving, um, but but the, the frozen turkeys, the contracts are there. The contracts are going to be filled. The price is already set. Um, no one's going to have trouble getting a turkey for Thanksgiving. What have we seen, or what has transpired with regard to avian influenza, whether from biosecurity to slow it down, whether from the change of the seasons? Do you feel like you're getting a handle on it, and can we control it? 
The, and, and the answer is yes, we can control it. Several things need to happen yet, and, and there is hope that as the weather fully warms up in that part of in the part of the country that's most affected, that that will that that will end this rash of breaks, um, and 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 that and that we'll have time to further prepare. One thing that gets lost in this, and it's easy to understand why it gets lost. But biosecurity really has succeeded and triumphed in a lot of ways here. Um, if you even look at the at the, at the hardest hit um, part of the part of the country, yes, okay, in Minnesota, something approaching ten percent of the birds have been affected. But this is the largest turkey producing state in the country, and ninety percent of what they produce has not been affected. Um, and and this was always going to be a, a bit of a dangerous spring. We knew from USDA Fish and Wildlife Surveillance that there was a lot of highly pathogenic avian influenza in the migratory bird flocks. Um, you know, we knew there's a risk. The members were on high alert. But um, when you've got a, a large incidence of it in the migratory bird population and they fly over an area that is as densely populated with turkey production as you have in the upper Midwest, there was always going to be a greater degree of risk. Um, the other thing we've discovered is that um, is that this particular virus seems to be able to, to, to attach to some very small particles, maybe as small as dust, and can get blown around with the wind. And, and so that did increase the risk of lateral transmission. All, all of the early breaks were pinpoint um, transmissions, as USDA describes them, meaning it, it came from migratory birds, hit a specific farm, um, you know, in discovering that this can move about on very small, attached to very small particles, this virus, then, then yes, you know, there was wind movement. Uh, there were probably some other vectors. But we do have hopes that the weather will slow it down. Obviously, as successful as biosecurity has been on the whole, um, you know, it, it's it's still something that um, that, that, that everybody's going to take take another look at, look closely at. Uh, USDA is considering approving vaccination um, for avian influenza in five upper Midwestern states. If the state veterinarians in those states choose to use it, our industry believes that is a great part, a, a great tool to use as part of an eradication strategy, not to vaccinate you know, for, till, you know, for an open indefinite period of time, but as part of an eradication strategy, um, our industry thinks that that, that that could be, um, that that could be a significant help. So there's a lot being done. Um, USDA is doing some good research. We're trying to work to redouble research. This is a strain of the virus that, um, that, that, you know, has, has been, been particularly deadly in turkeys and, um, and and is something that you know we need we need to learn more about this strain. What about the cooperative response between state governments, federal government, uh, the companies that are involved? Uh, how would you evaluate your response to it? And is everything being done at every level that should be done? First of all, I want to say that APHIS's response has, on balance, been phenomenal. USDA can't you know very appreciative of what they've done. Uh, there seems to be really good cooperation on balance between the federal and state governments. Obviously, industry stands ready to work with them. Has it been perfect every moment since the outbreak? No. Uh, we especially find that in the early days of a break in a new area, 
there's a learning curve as a USDA incident commander gets on the ground as 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 a state um, as a state team begins to prepare to it. Uh, you know, it, it usually takes it usually takes a little bit of time in each new area before everything um, is working as smoothly as it should. Uh, uh, we saw this a little bit in the early days of the Minnesota outbreak. I, we had a little bit more of a protracted problem in Iowa, and that was just complicated by the fact that in addition to turkeys, you, you had a significant number of egg layers affected there. And, and so the sheer scope of what USDA and the state were dealing with was incredibly different there. But what I would say is that all the governments, everybody seems to to learn from some of the problems that occur at the outset. They work to correct them. And and in time, you, you see uh, a very efficient operation emerge. All right, let's drift to another area, if we could. The administration has taken some action. There's been other work, but overall responding uh, to the overall antibiotic use at livestock production and specifically in poultry. What do you say of what has happened, and what do you see of future direction with regard uh, to consumer safety and also the ability to produce to satisfy consumer demand? There, there's a frustration that emerges on this issue in the fact that that, that, that there are a number of things that, that, that haven't remotely been proven scientifically that are taken in some quarters as, as gospel. Um, and, and there still has been absolutely no conclusive evidence that antibiotic use in livestock or poultry production um, risks its effectiveness in, in human medicine in any way. That said, we recognize where things are now. Um, we would commend this administration in their uh, combating anti- antibiotic resistance bacteria report that they released last fall for really noting for the first time in a, in a comprehensive way that what happens in doctors' offices uh, and in hospitals is every bit as important to the battle against resistance as what happens in veterinarians' veterinarians' offices, um, and that's and that's important. That's a that's a big step, and uh, and and we appreciate it. So, um, with that said, um, you know there has been a decision at FDA to seek a voluntary phase out of the so-called production antibiotics, uh, and our, you know the, all the drug companies seem on board with this process. So our members are pivoting to this process as well. Um, what happens beyond there is is still is is a little bit remaining to be seen. Um, we understand that consumers that the, the consumers have different preferences, and our members are are, are always going to look to respond to those preferences. So you will see organic and antibiotic free turkeys produced in, in the turkey industry to meet consumers' preference, but you will also continue to see conventionally produced turkeys because one of the things that hasn't been talked about in this enough is um, there is a cost increase associated. Um, with some of these changes, I mean, it just you know you're you're using fewer tools to keep the animal healthy. It may take more feed. You know, there may be some impact there. And our members are committed to producing products that Americans of all income levels can enjoy safely and that are nutritious and that are healthy. So you will see some change. Obviously, the production antibiotics will be phased out uh, over the next two years or so. Um, uh, you will see probably some shift in production practices to to meet some changing consumer tastes. And I do think that last part is important. I think consumer preference is probably going to ultimately drive this discussion to a much greater degree than government regulators are going to drive this discussion. Well, from a reporter who has an agriculture producer background, 
one of my concerns is that are we sacrificing the health and safety of the animal to chase a phantom problem? And that's and that's an outstanding point, and it goes back to what I said earlier about the one of the one of the refreshing things. It's not that we loved every single thing that was in the CARB report that that, that was put out by the White House last fall, but one of the things we did appreciate is recognizing that this is not just about farm animal production. If there is resistant anim- if there is resistant bacteria out there. You know, you know, you know what's happening in hospitals and in doctors' offices are contributing to it as well. Uh, maybe even to, probably even to a greater degree than what's happening on the farm. And I think, to some extent, this is a phantom problem. Um, you know, the poultry producers have not been able to use fluoroquinolones for a decade now, yet there's been no reduction in bacterial resistance to fluoroquinolones since they were outlawed in poultry production. At this point, you know, you really cannot hang a resistant problem in fluoroquinolones on anything in animal agriculture. And, and, and so, yes, I think, I think to some extent this is chasing a phantom problem. And I think that's why you will continue to see conventionally, you know, produced products, not just turkey, but I think you'll see it, you know, chicken, pork, beef, everywhere. I mean, you know, we have to present, we have to, you know, we we are going to continue to produce for all consumers at all income levels, all shopping preferences, all taste preferences. When we talked earlier in the interview, we mentioned the consumer demand. Uh, on, on national issues and, I guess, global issues, uh, there is discussion in Washington about trade promotion authority for the Obama administration and for administrations to come. Does the Turkey Federation have a stake in that debate? Absolutely. We are strong supporters of TPA. We would love to see the Trans-Pacific Partnership completed, um, with, you know, free trade, um, always will benefit the turkey industry. Um, you know, no trade agreement is perfect, but anything that promotes increased liberalized free trade is, is something that, that, that will benefit our members. Country of origin labeling, a complete repeal or an amendment to hold the spirit of the law? Um, interestingly enough, the country of origin labeling law does not apply to turkeys. Mm-hmm. On a philosophical basis, our members believe cool should be repealed. Um, we, we, our members don't support country of origin labeling on a philosophical basis. Um, and, and we, and we do some work on this issue because our members produce, a lot of our members produce products other than Turkey and we're mindful that it affects their other products. Um, I, but I would, I would hate to predict at this point what, what the final solution will be. Trade with Cuba? I think Cuba is is an interesting market. It's um, it's certainly something our members are going to explore. We've got you know we we have sold uh, turkey products to Cuba over the years. Um, we were very involved um, in the middle of last decade in in making sure that the that the rules on uh, how Cuba had to make their cash payments for ag products were as fair as possible. Um, so, so Cuba is a market our industry has serviced, is interested in seeing grow. I think there is a realistic recognition as well that this is probably a long-term prospect. It, it, at this moment, Cuba is still a comparatively poor country. It is a cash, a cash-strapped country. Um, and, 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 you know, and, and there are still a number of trade barriers that Congress has to address. So it, it's a market our members are interested in, but, but I think it's also, 
Um, you, know, you know, obviously it was intriguing after the president's announcement last December, and I think it's got our members looking at it. But I think there's 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 a there's a realization that that this isn't going to be an overnight thing. This is going to be a something that builds slowly over a period of time. Uh, has the lower price of corn and what appears to be a greater supply and carry domestically and globally changed the Turkey Federation's position on the renewable fuel standard? Not, not at all. Uh, here's, here's, here's the biggest thing um, to focus on. Yes, price matters, and we're not going to pretend like price doesn't matter. But for us, the volatility has been that, that the RFS has created has been the bigger problem. Um, you know, it, it's members can find. You know, our members can find a way to produce under a variety of circumstances regarding their input costs. But when there's possibility that it can swing from very low feed costs one year to extremely high feed costs, you know, in, in a matter of months. That's the tough part, and that's what the RFS has, has created in the, you know, in the, in the food, in the whole meat and poultry sector. I mean, now more corn goes to, to, to ethanol production than to feed and livestock. I mean, that, that's significant, and that has happened in a span of less than 10 years. Um, so that is very rapid growth, and yes, I understand what the ethanol producers say about DDGs as a byproduct, but they don't, at least in the turkey industry, they cannot replace corn on a one-to-one basis. At most, they're a 10% replacement in the diet, so the, the, the DDG by, you know, the DDG give back is much smaller than ethanol producers claim. So yes, we need a mechanism to to create greater predictability and something that ends the volatility. We have talked about repealing the RFS, and probably that would still be the preference of a lot of members, but we remain open to discussions about creating a safety net with the RFS, something that will take some of the volatility out of this, that will allow for adjustments that, you know, during, during periods of shortages, because unfortunately, as 2012 proved, there will be droughts from time to time. And the market reaction to that is far greater now than it was pre-RFS, and 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 that's that's something we, we, you know, we have to find a way to address the volatility that the RFS has created. Well, our guest on this segment of Open Mike is Joel Brandenberger. He's the president of the National Turkey Federation. Joel, thanks for your time with us, and we just offer you an open mic for thoughts from the National Turkey Federation. Jeff, we thank you for the opportunity. Uh, we've covered a lot here. If I were to sort of summarize the messages. You know, the turkey industry in the United States is a vibrant industry committed to growth, committed to smart growth, to increasing demand, real demand for the products, and, 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 and growing accordingly. It's an industry that's going through a very tough period right now with highly pathogenic avian influenza, but it's a resilient industry. Um, you know, we will find – our members will find a way through this. Um Americans will continue to have access to all the turkey products they want, even as we're working our way through this crisis. And we look forward to coming out of this and and, and into a bright future. Our thanks to this week's guest, Joel Brandenberger, president of the National Turkey Federation. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc., a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States, diversified in energy, grains, and foods, and committed to growing their business through domestic and global operations. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.